Amen. We're going to take some time in God's Word this morning as well. So if you'd like to find Acts 24, if you'd like a pew Bible, pick one of those up. It's Acts 24, which is on page 1121 in your pew Bible. We'll come to that in a second. Um, I'll read it sort of as once I'm into the passage a little bit. Let's just take a moment to, as you get that in front of you, let me just pray again as well. Father, thank you. We affirm again that you do have good plans and purposes for our lives. And Father, this morning I pray as we come back to your word, come back to uh, the message of Acts, would you strengthen us in our inner beings this morning? Would your word bring life to us this morning? That you would help us to stand firm. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amongst the other things we've been doing this week, one of the things we started a couple of weeks ago was the difference course on a Wednesday evening, which is essentially the Archbishop of Canterbury's peacemaking course. And this week we were focusing on crossing divides and trying to put ourselves in other people's shoes. And putting ourselves and trying to imagine ourselves into particularly people we may find ourselves in conflict with, uh, putting ourselves in other shoes sometimes may be straightforward, but often it's quite difficult, particularly when we find ourselves uh, in disagreement. This week we listened to Sammy's story, which was, this was all recorded, I don't know, five, ten years ago maybe. And actually Sammy's story is one of crossing divides in Palestine and Israel. You couldn't help but be struck about how serious war is. How important peace is and not to take it for granted. As I look through the Gospels, I'm completely, and we're going to talk about this a little bit, and look at the person of Jesus. We see someone who is peace, but brings peace, but all so, in all sorts of different ways. So as mentioned, he stills a storm. Be still. He breathes peace on the disciples. He silences the enemy. He delivers people from darkness. He heals people and actually creates a peaceful community. So I don't know about you, but as you face division or you face difficulty, you face threats or opposition, clearly nothing probably like we see in Israel Gaza. The question there is still the same. Uh, will you fight, fight or will you turn to flight? Will you turn to fight or will you flight or will you stand? Will you run away? Will you make it worse or will you stand? We're going through the book of Acts together this year. And it's an amazing account of how the church, and those of you who've been here with us all year, we know how the church was birthed but began to spread across the world. This message of power, this experience of gospel, of gospel experience, of good news of Jesus, that had a power to transform lives, to discover God's love, changing people, cities, nations. And in these closing 
uh, chapters of Acts, we still find that Paul is facing all sorts of opposition because of what he's been doing. Opposition from the Jewish leaders and also inquiry and opposition from the Roman rulers too. And actually here today in the reading we're just about to read, Paul is in trouble. He's in court. I was actually going to say he's on the naughty step, but I thought that was probably a bit trivial uh, for this morning, but I've still said it, so that's me done. And he's accompanied by the high priest, and he's in court uh, with the lawyer Tortellus, and Tortellus opens proceedings. So let's pick the passage up if you've got it in front of us. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But... In order to not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. This case is being set out before the Roman governor Felix, and in verses 5 to, f- five to 7 that we're just about to read, he details Paul's crimes. We have found this man in verse 5 to be a troublemaker. Stone riots among the Jews all over the world. He's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. These are Paul's crimes. Felix then asks for his response, as we see, by examining, by examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. When the governor, noted, the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that you are a member, a num- sorry, excuse me, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city, and they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or these who are here to state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing, I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Let me read verse 21 again. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. Felix then listens 
realizes Paul's innocent and adjourns and gets into conversation with Paul and his wife, Drusilla. So from verse 22, then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias was the commander, when the when Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Felix becomes afraid, as we see in here, gets into conversation. I love that little phrase, actually, there as well. They got into conversation about righteousness, about self-control, and about judgment to come. Actually, that's a sermon on its own about, actually, there's a lot of longing today for righteousness. There's a kind of real longing to find self-control. In many ways, we're kind of struggling to know how to do it. But we don't really talk about judgment to come. Anyway, Paul gets into conversation uh, with Felix and his wife, and he gives Paul some freedom. Yet, as verse 27 then says, when two years had passed... Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Three things I just briefly want to talk about this morning. The three-point sermon is back this morning. Firstly, I want to talk about giving an account or being a witness. During the 90s, I think, when I was at university, I might have mentioned this briefly before. I must have listened to a fair few talks that challenged us along these lines. If you personally were put in court today and you were tried for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's a tough question, isn't it? I particularly remember the 90s, I was earnest. And actually, I remember a number of those talks I was sat in. Tough question, isn't it? Tough question. Paul, in these last few passages, is constantly being questioned. Is he for real? Is he the one? Speak up, stand up, account for yourself. The three charges that are brought brought against him, he's caused riots, he's a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he tried to desecrate the temple. What we see in Paul's response, though, is something quite interesting. Paul is incredibly calm. He's very coherent. He's very ordered. In many ways, you'd argue he's quite professional. If you think of um, some of the oratory around at the time, you can see there's a whole skill that those who study it know. But he's also very wise, and he refutes all the charges. So what we find is Paul is on the detail of what's brought against him, but he's also got his attitude right. He puts his evidence, but also his behavior and his character is also part of it. Why? Because he's representing Jesus Christ. Both matter, not just one or the other. 
Of course, we may never face circumstances as radical as these. We never face, never been in a position where people who have been persecuted for their faith or put in jail have. But 1 Peter, I've often thought of this verse in 1 Peter 3, is particularly always be prepared to give an account or an answer for the hope that is within you. Be ready. There will be moments in all our lives when from nowhere, one of our friends, one of the people we're with, somebody's next to us, suddenly say, why is it? that you go to church? Why is it you believe? And actually what we find, I know this is a set piece, Paul has gone to court, he knows what's been brought against him. But we do have an opportunity, and Paul comes very, shows a huge amount of care and a huge amount of love in his words. We're representing Christ, and actually it matters. The writer C.S. Lewis says this, we must show our Christian colors if we are to be true to Jesus Christ. We must show our Christian colors if we are to be true to Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 16 in this passage, it's a really striking verse as well again, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Now I know it's not fashionable, Uh, And actually, we don't do many things to to talk about holiness today. I know it's not a very popular topic to talk about personal holiness or holiness in general. But for us as Christians and for Christians through the centuries, actually, it's always been incredibly important. It's been a key strand of our witnesses. It isn't just about the facts or the substance. It's about us, our behaviors, our attitudes, how we do things. And at a time of real difficulty in society and a time where society is facing all sorts of challenges, actually there are amazing opportunities to be salt and light in a world that needs to know the love of Christ and to demonstrate the power of the gospel to change lives. One writer puts it this way, is that other religions or philosophies teach us to be good. But Christianity gives us the power to become good. It's challenging for me and for us. So what we find is Paul demonstrates what Martin Luther, the great reformer, says this. We said this, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Now Paul is at a place where actually his life is at stake. But in a sense, Luther's arguing that's what God's grace means. Under the severest heat, we will be able to stand. Secondly, we're going to just think a bit. So firstly, about witness. We're called to witness, we're called to witness, and to take inspiration from what we see, Paul. But secondly, I want to just talk about Jesus. During the summer, one of the highlights of our time at New Wine um, Joe, it was actually the morning readings with someone called Simon Ponsby, who's well known in sort of Anglican, evangelical, charismatic circles. And in his usual style, he told a story um, that sort of reminded me again. He told a story of a, of a sort of frustrated vicar in Oxford. He works in Oxford at one of the big churches in Oxford. And a vicar came up to him really frustrated that he wasn't seeing a lot of change in his people. And Simon listened to him for a while. And after chatting to him, he simply said, well, it seems to me you, you talk about God a lot. 
And actually, you talk about spirituality a lot. Uh, And you talk about church quite a lot. But I don't hear you talking about Jesus. Where do we speak of Jesus? Jesus is the central character in this book and of Christianity. We need to recover our sense of finding a way of speaking of Jesus and to speak simply, honestly, in a way that we can understand, in a way that other people can understand. And this is what Paul does in this passage too, both in verses 14, 15, and and 21. We see he talks about being a follower of the way, about being um, somebody who speaks of the resurrection of the dead through Jesus. And that's why he puts his case before Felix and stands so clearly. For us, it does center on the person of Jesus, his resurrection from the dead, and our trust and faith in him. Ultimately, that's why Paul is in trouble, remember. From a human perspective, the charges brought against him, you could see, might have a degree of truth. But Paul doesn't answer on their terms. He answers through God's terms and through his own um, argument as well around the evidence. There's a great uh, writer, A.A. Tozu, who said this, if Jesus Christ isn't the central figure in our lives and in our churches, we are only fooling ourselves. It's about Jesus and his glorious resurrection from the dead. It changes everything. So how about you this morning? I mean, I started, I know we rushed through a little bit this morning, but I asked the question to say, what is it about Jesus that's really important to you? What compels you about the person of Jesus? What draws you to Jesus? What means that you could speak Jesus' name with confidence or with enthusiasm or with conviction? It isn't in question for us. It, in a sense, is the question for us. How can you appreciate him today? Who he is and all he's done for you. What do you want to say to him today? What do you want to express to Jesus today? If you're struggling to think why it's so important, this is a kind of famous theologian, British theologian Tom Wright puts it this way that might help you. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has made him the central character. As we move through the narrative, what we then find right towards the end is that you'll notice right at the end, there's a little sort of footnote that even though Felix believes as Paul puts his case, does it convincingly, speaks boldly of, of Jesus, but also puts the evidence before him, he still in verse 27 says, when two years passed, just a few little words, then two years passed. So amongst all the encouragement of the conversations of how he's had with Felix and his wife, Drusilla, about what righteous, how important righteousness is and how we get it, about how do we discover self-control and you know, the judgment that is to come and where we place ourselves with that. Actually, Felix, the governor, delays. 
and chooses to appease the Jews. Paul had to wait, it says, two years in prison. Actually, he had to wait another two years more than that as well before he got to Rome. And of course, we live for us in such a difficult society in which actually there's such a fast pace that the idea of waiting is often for us quite difficult. We want instant access and, you know, I press my button on my computer and then a day later all my wishes are fulfilled uh, as they come to me through the post. But of course we know it's not as simple as that, don't we? In our relationships we know that, in our work we know that. It's far more complicated. So why should I wait for God's timing? Paul has to wait. He's forced to wait. Here two years. Psalm 27 starts, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And Psalm 27 then finishes, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. In our prayers, Simon reminds us that the God who is with us. So we commit to his timing, to his uh, part of life. And um, actually, Catherine also mentioned that for those of us that we're waiting is quite difficult. It means we have to learn to grow the fruit of patience in our lives. As we read the Bible, we find people had to be patient. For God's timing, for God's promises, they didn't just come instantly. People had to wait generations and generations in certain, to certain degrees. On a personal level, I remember the first time I felt a call to ministry when I was about 20 years old at university. And I kind of imagined in my own head that I would be doing a whole load of range of, of different things in my 20s. But actually, it wasn't until four, I was 40 till actually God sort of said, and actually now is the time to do something about it. You know, actually, that was no big deal in one sense. It's just waiting for something. But it was about 20 years of waiting. Waiting for God's timing, waiting for his purposes. And actually, it wasn't like those 20 years were a waste. That God somehow wasn't at present and at work and at work in my life, at work in the things I was called to in the meantime. That was somehow just simply a desert place of waiting for the ultimate thing that I felt God wanted to do. God still had purpose for me, to love, to serve, to give, to trust, to work with others, to fulfill a calling in the world, because that's what God had for me at that time. And actually for us this morning, I just want to quietly say, but maybe say with a little bit of um, urgency too, it is of infinite importance to God to get your attention today. It matters. Today matters. Tomorrow matters. That's walking by the Spirit. That's walking day by day with Jesus. He wants to be, he wants you to know he's with you. He wants you to walk with him through life and to fulfill the purposes he has for you. 
And actually it might seem in some of the circumstances we're talking about in the scriptures here that Paul is in very extreme circumstances. And of course that's true. He's in prison. He's been arrested. He's been put in trial. He's told to wait. But none of that was wasted. None of that was wasted time. And when actually we are in that place of waiting, it can be very easy to give up. Give up on God, give up on other Christians, give up on worship. Because actually we don't get what we want and actually we're quite angry with God. And it's really tempting to give up, to run away, or to go and fight other people. And actually when God's promises don't come through in the way that we want, God calls us again to draw near to him and just say, wait with me. Wait with me, trust me. Trust in my timing, trust in my purposes, trust in what I want to do. Wait with me today. Those of you who've been following the narrative will know that in chapter 23, Paul was promised by God who stood alongside him, the Lord alongside him, that he would end up being in Rome. He's got a personal promise, yet here he is sat in jail, feeling like all my plans have been thwarted. What future do I have? But Paul chooses both to stand up and be counted before Felix, but also to continue to be faithful in that place of a desert place almost, waiting for God's timing, waiting for things to fall to come through. And in that place, we need to remember, we need to encourage each other, we need to remember the scriptures and also encourage each other to stand firm, to trust in God and his promises to realize that our eternal ward as Christians is secure. Our future is secure. Our future is secure. Which releases us to live in the present. To live in the present with a God who has been faithful to us through our lifetimes. We may have recognized it, we may not have recognized it. But God has been with us. Not to try and kind of stay in the past, not to try and run into a fantasy future that will never come, but to be present today. To live in the present with a living God who wants you to be his hands and feet in the world this week. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Persevere, stand tall, wait for the Lord. Should be still for a moment. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you know us. You know us by name. You love us. Thank you that you promise to draw near to us as we draw near to you. So this morning we reach out in a sense to you and come before you, asking afresh that you would bring us strength. 
fresh strength, fresh manna for the day. Today's bread, Lord, we pray. Help us, we pray, in our daily lives when we get distracted. Holy Spirit, thank you that you do, um, you do draw near. You know what we need. And we ask that you would come afresh upon each one of us this morning. Renew us, I pray. And actually, for anybody here this morning who... Just to keep, maybe keep your eyes closed, you know that it's a real struggle to speak of Jesus as we see Paul being so bold and so confident and so assured. You kind of feel I'm a million miles away from that this morning. And so actually I'm just going to encourage you, if that is you, just like me, I'm going to say, Lord, would you help me? Put your hand by your mouth and just say, Lord, would you help me to speak of you? Father, my mouth and all that you give me is yours. And I long to be a blessing to others through my words. Strengthen me, Father. Give me courage where I need it. Give me sensitivity where I need it. Help me to see the opportunities that you place in front of me. That we would speak Jesus. Jesus.